all this time. All the love we put into it and we're just gonna blow it up? It just doesn't feel right. Think of it as letting a young star become what it's meant to be. We'll see you on the other side. Of course you will, Captain. I just want you all to know what an honor it was to serve alongside you. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the Proto Star Bridge. This is Tyler Orton saying hello, Starfleet person. <laughs> and we're here this week to wrap up season one of Prodigy. It's only been going 17 years, but we finally got here. Uh, we're going to talk about three episodes today, Mind Walk, as well as the basically two-part finale, Supernova Parts 1 and 2. But, you know, Tyler, this journey, it feels like it's taken us a long time. Were you satisfied with the results? Um, Ultimately, yeah. But uh, before we get into that, Cam, I, I think we just want to let listeners know, like, we are kind of wrapping up, uh, you know, uh, Prodigy right now. But uh just kind of give you guys an idea. Like, I think coming up, we're going to be getting into kind of the uh, the pre-season three Star Trek Picard coverage. Not immediately. We, we want to have some fun on the show. We'll, we'll also be kind of looking ahead to what Star Trek in 2023 is going to entail. We've got a lot more Star Trek coming down the pike this year with, you know, uh, more uh, uh, animated series like Lower Decks. Uh, live action stuff like Discovery and Strange New Worlds. It's going to be a busy year, but I think we'll have some opportunities to kind of insert our usual kind of wacky sorts of episodes here and there. So even this is more of kind of a wrap-up episode to like a a series that kind of wrapped up, you know, like (laughs) in very late (laughs) 2022, we do have a lot of plans in store for 2023. And as for how this one wrapped up altogether, um, ultimately, was it satisfying? Uh, Yeah. Um, The question I have for you, Cam, Is this the strongest first season of Star Trek since Strange New Worlds? (laughs) I don't know. I feel like this show, by uh, being stretched over multiple years, like, exists within some sort of time anomaly. So it, like, the show... uh, I don't even know how to judge its wrap-up. It's like, what, what a journey it's been over, like... You look at how many seasons of Star Trek happened between when this one started and this one ended. But yes, in terms of finales, the strongest ones in Strange New Worlds. Yeah, uh, and and I, I would say season uh, first seasons as well. And, and honestly, I, I throw it out there. I, I I think what's the competition for strong first seasons in Star Trek? I think we've got Strange New Worlds. We've got the original series. We've got Voyager. And I think we've got Prodigy. You know, um, you might make an argument for Lower Decks, but I think Prodigy was more consistent. But uh, mm-hmm. it is still quite bizarre to me that it took about 14 months for the first season to air, which is <laughs> um, not 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 a typical release schedule. But I, it's also just, is it not weird to think that um, we've now had as many adventures with this Prodigy crew as we have had with the Lower Decks crew, despite Lower Decks premiering, I think, maybe at least uh, a year before uh 
uh, Prodigy did. Yeah, no kidding. That is crazy. Um, and, and I feel like, hmm, I think with lower decks, it's interesting where because you had that space, like I feel like I've gotten to know those characters better and just the way the seasons were assembled. Whereas like Prodigy, it was such a stop-start thing that I often had trouble kind of getting in the flow of the show. So I'd be very curious what my feelings on this overall season would be just sitting down and, you know, binging it right through. Yeah, I like I know what you're saying. Like there's sometimes that we're lost, you know, like uh, was there not like a, a a throwaway line about the diviner being a time traveler? Mm -hmm. And and you and I were like, wait, was that just a throwaway line or did they establish that like uh, right before uh, the season or the mid-season premiere? Like, uh, you know, more like the mid-season finale. And it, it was just there's a little bit of head scratching. And I, I again, I know what you're getting at. And I'll, I'll, I'll go back and I'll say this once again. Uh, the uh, Paramount Plus people don't care. This nope. is about library content that they're going to be building up for younger generations for years to come. And when those you know young folks start watching the show, they're going to have a very different kind of experience, um, a viewing experience for themselves than we have had watching the show over the course of 14 months. But also, I'd be very curious to know, like, I don't know the viewing habits of young children these days, but... Back when I was like a kid, you would watch episodes of things over and over again. So I do wonder if there was kids who are into Prodigy, if they would watch those first batch of episodes over and over again. So like they didn't feel as lost as we did with those gaps. That is a very good question. I I also, just that abundance of content that kids have access to. Is it like, huh, okay, well I finished this. I'm just going to go on to the next thing. I suspect kids still watch things over and over again. Like it, it just, it was such an easier task to do. And I think people, if they like what they like, they'll go back to it. And that's my suspicion. Uh, so if you're a Star Trek parent and you've got some information uh, to give us about uh, children's viewing habits, uh, we're, we're all ears right here. I mean, I hear enough stories from parents about like their kids rewatching, say like Disney's Zootopia, like over and over and over again, like every single day. So like, I know that kids still do do that sort of thing. I'm just not sure when it comes to like Star Trek Prodigy because I frankly have no un input on anyone watching Star Trek Prodigy other than like you, me, and the odd person I see online. Yeah, even in our friend group, like mm -hmm. our our Star Trek friend group, you know, the, the folks that we hang out with at the, the convention, the, the, the folks that you think are such big Star Trek fans, they'll watch anything if they're going to a convention. Um, I don't know. Have you heard but a peep? A uh, friend of the show, Scott Hardy, very much enjoyed the wrap-up to the season, but um, he, he's the only person I can think of. Like, uh, yeah, a lot of our friends either, you know, checked in initially and were like, eh, it's not really for me, or they just didn't really have an interest in the first place. I mean, we were out a couple of weeks ago with uh, Fallen co-host Benjamin Yong, and, uh, you know, new father. I think, yeah, his daughter's about two and a half right now i think this show's a little bit too old for her but uh we we're like are you even really paying attention or even aware of this show and he was like nah we we're like it's really good he's like cool you know just yeah. <laughs> if, if the interest isn't there i, I mean I, I think it's going to be a ha like this is the ultimate problem the ultimate challenge that a lot of these streaming services are going to have it, it's just how easy it is for viewers to find the content that you have available to them and especially something like Paramount Plus. I mean, for us in Canada, this airs on the Crave TV app, which is far more omnipresent than 
Paramount Plus is down in the United States or in other countries. I just think um, it, it, it still might be tough for folks to, to lead their children into this series. You know, I, I don't know how many other kids shows are running on Paramount Plus. Like, I, I'm sure there are a couple, but I, like, I don't know, Blue's Clues or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have a clue. And I do oh, know. But you know what? I'm sorry to interrupt. It's just I do recall this is kind of uh, me being kind of dumb again, but um, they do have that deal with Nickelodeon, right? In, in which this would air on Nickelodeon. And I think that's actually kind of the um, like a, a, a very solid business model to get getting this in front of the eyes of, you know, the most popular, you know, youth uh, channel in uh, the United States. The only thing I'm wondering now is like how many kids are watching Nickelodeon nowadays versus when I was growing up and Nickelodeon was like, I, I, I was watching until I was like, I don't know, 14, 15. I just, I don't know if it carries that weight on uh, cable television anymore. You were dousing yourself with slime on a daily basis. Uh, I kept saying, what, what was the word? Uh, what? Was it, you, <laughs> you can't say that on television? Do you remember that show? Yeah, because then if you said water, it was water, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, yeah. That, that's, a, I think, probably a very Canadian reference, but nonetheless. <laughs> I think it aired down yeah. in the United States as well. It, I believe it did, but it, the popularity was huge in Canada. Yeah, that's huge true. In Canada. Yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of like the the Degrassi effect, you know. Like Degrassi is mm-hmm. popular here and is one of those few crossover uh, youth oriented programs that uh, got into the U.S. market as well. Yeah, um, but I, I was going to say, like, I do have you know friends who are parents to kids that have been getting to Star Trek. I've talked about it in the past, where Degrassi, uh, my friend. Uh, <laughs> not Degrassi, into Star Trek, oh, okay. um, where one of my good friends, her and her husband, you know, her they got you know her son who was about eleven at the time into TOS, and then he's gone through TNG, and he just turned thirteen like a month ago. Um, but I've talked to him about you know some of the newer Trek. He was very interested in Strange New Worlds, and I believe did watch season one of Strange New Worlds. But when I brought up things like Prodigy, I just got the blank stare, and it was like he was way more interested in the potential of watching shows like Picard or discovery than like the animated kids show. Yeah. And I get it. Like, I, I mean, I, I was at the age when I was about, I think eight when I started mm-hmm. getting to live action star Trek. So I can totally understand why a 13 year old would be more interested. You know, that, that's why I keep asking myself, like what, like I'm just kind of ignorant. Like what age demographic are they going for? Because I don't think this is a show for four or five year olds. I think it's more for like 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds. Does that sound about right? Even though, I mean, I got into Star Trek live action when I was much younger than that. I would say, yeah, like 10, 12. But that's also like an age group to me that would be crossing over into stuff like the Marvel movies and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. like Because when we were young, I think we watched animated shows maybe at a younger age than kids do now. I feel like they jump more into live action stuff quicker these days. Yeah, well... I don't know. Do, do they? Like, I have no I, I, idea. How old were you? <laughs> but how no? How old were you when you started watching live action stuff? I mean, I guess I was young. I was like four when I was watching Star Wars. Yeah. So are kids so. like starting at, at age one now? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? I I don't know what I'm saying at this point because I guess I was always into the blend. Whereas I, I I do wonder if kids now are quicker just to drop animation altogether. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know that, so I will uh, I will defer to any uh, Star Trek 
parental listeners of the show to maybe fill me and Cam in on the details. Um, do we want to get into uh, the last three episodes and uh, kick it off with Mindwalk? Let's do it. Yeah, just for those that might not recall, it's uh, the uh, the latest body swapping episode of uh, Star Trek. I'll have to say that you know I could totally understand uh, Kate Mulgrew kind of kicking butt, uh, just doing voice work in a mm-hmm. in a, a body swap episode. I want to hand it off to the animators as well, that <laughs> also did a great job. But also just the fact that um, uh, Brett Gray, the uh, actor, the voice actor, who does Doll. I think he took this role very seriously I, I i think he really wanted to do uh janeway justice and i i'm i would hope or i would assume that uh mulgrew maybe uh, gave him a little bit of coaching you know or maybe, maybe garrett wong did for uh, anyone who's been to a mm-hmm. convention and uh listen to him uh do a a uh, his impression of uh kate mulgrew which is hilarious um i think they both pulled it off uh quite well this is a a, a fun episode um uh although cam um the mechanics of the body swap at the end and using a phaser to fix it, um, I thought it was really stretching it, even for a children's Star Trek series. I actually was sitting there, like going, "Wait, what? What? What?" Like, I, yeah. I think I rewound at one point to like get explanation as to what was going on. Um, yeah, that was definitely creative. I mean, in the Kurtzman era of Star Trek, a lot of the uh, solutions to problems often leave me scratching my head. It's kind of like. They've taken the classic sci-fi gobbledygook approach of, say, like something Jordy would say on Next Generation or someone would say on Voyager. And they've just like taken it to kind of like this often more like visceral approach that I don't quite understand. But I guess it is kind of in that tradition of bizarro made up science on the spot. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just can't wait until like the next episode of Strange New Worlds where, you know, Spock shoots someone with a phaser. and He's like, I was just trying to do a body swap. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, sure. But um, yeah, look, uh, I, I do like the reference to Threshold in which uh, Admiral Janeway is talking about uh, once being transformed into Salamander. And also just, it was cool seeing like the Voyager model on uh, Admiral yeah. Janeway's desk as well. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Th- this is a kind of a solid episode. I guess the question I'm getting at is how do you feel it kind of forwarded the, um, the plot here, which I think we realized... Um, I think from the second half of season one on, it was getting increasingly more serialized and more mm-hmm. plot-driven at points than character-driven. Although we did have that episode a couple of weeks ago in which it was kind of focused on the backstories of the characters. And that one didn't quite work for us uh, the way that it might have for others. But um, I don't know. I, 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 I like this one, but it, I, I feel it's getting just a, a wee bit convoluted with being more focused on the plot stuff, even though the show is very good at the characterizations of the the folks that we're following here. Yeah, like I made some notes up top off this one when they revealed the kind of the body swap gimmick. I was like, oh, like this feels like it lands in an unfortunate time, like very shortly after the Spock Amok episode of Strange New Worlds. Like this is very familiar and I mean, for, given for the... you who's watching it yeah, for me chronologically, whereas like if this is a kid, you know, yeah, for someone who's consuming all of these shows, it's like, oh, this is kind of unfortunate timing. Uh, given the rollout of uh, season one of Prodigy, though, it's like I, I don't know which one was conceived first. Probably this episode. Yeah, and look, I, I can't. I'm not. I don't want to fault the creators for like something that's out of their control. You know? No. I, I guess what I'm judging on is how well does this succeed as a body swap episode and even just like the delivery of dal going hmm just the way or i guess um the actor playing doll 
did that. Is like I, I'm impressed when I see that sort of stuff. And this is kind of a fun body swap episode. I know what you're saying. You know, like Spock Amok was fun as well. I probably had more fun with Spock Amok, but um, I don't know. This one, I, I'm not going to hold it against it just because of the timing of it. This one, I made a note too initially where I was like, does this sort of concept work as well in animation versus like live action where you get to see, you know, some of these Star Trek actors give actual like physical performances, doing a little more impression work. But I was quickly like, no, I'm wrong. Like this is actually really working. It's having a lot of fun with it. And just like the vocal work, you know, both actors, I think did a fantastic job and made the episode very fun. I think for me, like I found this to be a very watchable episode. Um, but it also felt, as you said, it was more serialized. So it was really just kind of setting up plot points versus telling a specific story about what this sort of mind swap even meant to the characters. Like, we we get by the end, okay, Janeway now kind of understands what's going on. But it didn't really, it didn't really tell its own story in that sense. I, I did make a note, though, that um, at the end of this episode, that you remember back when, you know, they're launching Discovery and we're seeing a lot of the newer shows, Picard Season 1, there was a real sense of, like, they are scared to make traditional Trek because they want to create something new that is going to win over audiences because, you know, I don't know, old Star Trek is quote-unquote boring or something. I I don't know. But, like, this Prodigy show, and this one in particular, I, I really appreciate that it took incredibly familiar Star Trek elements that we've seen before, the mind swap stuff, a lot of the, you know, kind of the the space opera stuff in this episode. But like they're presenting in a way where it feels true to Star Trek. It's very recognizably Star Trek, but it doesn't have the energy of the, of the previous shows, like from the past. It feels like it's both one foot in the modern, telling modern Star Trek storytelling, but also feels like classic Star Trek, which is something that I feel like we've seen these live action shows struggle and struggle and struggle and often fail to even achieve. And this one makes it look really easy. I know what you're saying, and I'm trying to pinpoint what the, like, what the difference is, you know? Is it just, like, it, some of the, the new Star Trek feels just a little bit more mean-spirited in a way, you know? Like, I, like I'm trying to figure out, and a lot of it is kind of the very convoluted plotting that goes on in, like, say, season two of Picard or season two of Discovery, like what? I don't know. Like, I, I help me uh, think through this, Cam. Like, can, can you kind of point to what delineates, you know, this being Star Trek in spirit, but also kind of pushing forward the franchise in different ways versus some of the stumbles that we've seen with Discovery and Picard? Well, with Picard and Discovery, there's obviously like a, much more of a focus on kind of like introducing violence or swearing and kind of this darker edge to it, which Prodigy very much embraces. Kind of that swashbuckling kind of high-spirited energy which you know people may forget but like the original series had all over it so it feels like it has that it also is very like earnest about its characters in a way where you get to really know and understand them whereas i feel like a lot of the time discovery particularly picard maybe a little less or so but they tend to work in very broad strokes things it's like a character gives a big speech that's it. That's all the character development. Just write it off as that. Whereas I feel like just by charting the course of this season of Prodigy, it was consistent character growth that felt organic through the relationships, which is what people like about Star Trek in the first place. Yeah. And also, I, they, they still had to define a lot of these characters by trauma, as we noted yeah. in that uh, backstory episode. But it wasn't as if uh, the trauma they were facing 
was nearly as debilitating as the trauma all the other uh, like the Picard and Discovery characters are facing. You know, and that's it's just it gets it, it gets exhausting after a while following those characters. Even though I still like folks, you know, like Tilly or uh, and uh, Saru, but it's like it can get exhausting. And I find with a show like um, with Discovery, a lot of it is about the weight on Burnham and how it's just breaking her down through these seasons. And so we watch this character just getting perpetually beaten down over the course of the season, has to rise with like inspirational moments. Whereas like, I like how Prodigy, they run into hurdles, hurdles that, you know, will stop them dead in their tracks, but they turn to each other and work together as a team yeah. to make these things happen. It, it's about like inspiration through teamwork. And, you know, as as it was said, teamwork makes dreams work uh, uh, on this show. But like the show really takes that to heart. Like it actually gets that across. Maybe that line's cheesy, but they get that across in a way when you're watching the show doesn't feel cheesy at all. I, I, I was thinking about this earlier this week. You know how, uh, you know, that uh, new Discovery kind of teaser trailer and it, it's, we're on an adventure. We're looking for some sort of lost uh, artifact, you know, and uh, like, like, and they've been doing in interviews and, you know, the critters want to make a Discovery like a kind of shift in tone, make it, make it more fun in tone. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the season two premiere of Discovery where, you know, Pike literally says, and maybe we have a little fun on the way. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that, that opening <laughs> episode, Brother, it, it, it was a fun episode, yeah. too. Like, they, they wanted to have it a little bit more swashbuckling. But as the season went on, like, it got a little bit more dour and, and, and dour and dour. And, and it kind of continued into the next couple seasons. It's like the, the Discovery people are aware that, just, that the show is rather dour. And that they want to course correct, but they keep kind of following kind of the same trap you know and i'm just kind of like eh, like i, I don't know I, I i just for me star trek should be fun mm -hmm. and not like uh not misery porn and at least with you know prodigy changing things up i don't ever get the sense that we're watching misery porn here e even though th there is some pathos that these uh, characters are dealing with and i think when you have a show that is fairly upbeat the emotional lows of that type of storytelling can really work with people where, you know, you look at, say, like the Marvel Universe, people go crazy for those movies. Look at how much, you know, the death of Iron Man impacted people. And that is a very poppy, comic booky tone of storytelling. But when you have an emotional moment, it can feel very earned. And I think Prodigy does that very well, where the episodes will be really fun. You know, Jankum is making quips, uh, Murph is bouncing around, but then they, they'll have a real heart-to-heart -heart moment between the characters. And you lean in because the storytelling is so much fun that you then get kind of sucked into the emotion of what the characters are going through. I find when things are kind of like, as you said, kind of dour or just bleak a lot, you kind of just almost put up this like wall where you're like, okay, I'm just kind of watching this because it's kind of exhausting to emotionally connect to it for prolonged periods of time. Well, I'm glad that we cracked the code in <laughs> what makes uh, Star Trek Prodigy great. So, okay, we can pat ourselves on the back. Do you want to jump over to uh, Supernova Part 1? Let's do it, yeah. So this is the first part of the finale, yes. <laughs> I liked how, uh, you know, Admiral Janeway awakens in uh, the brig and she is immediately introduced to Ensign Coincidence yeah. in which we have a DeVore refugee that she apparently met as a uh, when the refugee was a child back in the episode Counterpoint, one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek Voyager. And the DeVore refugee turned Starfleet Ensign just 
wholeheartedly trust Janeway, despite uh, the, the manic behavior that we we're seeing just one episode ago during the body swap. It was a real deus ex machina that moment. Um, I think the show's usually better than that, but this one was a little eye-rolling. I, I do agree there. Cam, yeah. uh, let me say this. Okay, think about the uh, the Starfleet fleet sequence that we were mm. exposed to here versus the um, fleet sequence we got in the season one finale of Star <laughs> Trek Picard, where it was the copy-and-paste Romulan ships versus the copy-and-paste Starfleet vessels and no real showdown. It was it was like meh. Um, this was like thrilling to just watch the protostar mm-hmm. like fling itself through the fleet. Watch these very familiar, um, you know, like the Sovereign class, the Akira class ships. We got Defiant class ships as well. Uh, like Camp, this was like kind of a hoot to see. And we've said it before. It just I I I don't think any other Star Trek show is really touching prodigy in terms of how cinematic it is like this is like cinematic to a degree that we generally don't see in star trek and i mean props to what they accomplished in this fleet sequence and there is i think a certain template we've started to see with a lot of these kurtzman uh, season finales where you get say like these big fleet things or huge action sequences so like this episode was kind of familiar where we went with it but at the same time it was doing it better than just about any of them so it was kind of like just because something is maybe a formula doesn't mean it's bad. But when you get the execution of the formula done at a very successful level, like I think this episode did, it's thrilling. I was like, boy, it made me that much more annoyed about, say, like the finale of Picard season one because you had so much potential and you dropped the ball. Whereas here, they just ran with it. And it felt like suitably epic. This is a, what, once you remove the opening kind of, you know, um, music and all that stuff. It's like a 22-minute episode or something like that, 21 minutes. And it felt like kind of a grand finale. This first part, at least, you know, felt very grand. And you got to give like real points. As you said, it's very cinematic, but it feels like they really understand scale. And it didn't feel like our little character journeys were being interrupted by kind of the massive stakes going on at the end of this episode. Well, that's just it. Like, I I love the moment where, you know, the universal translators that are failing... And, you know, Gwyn has that moment where she's like, you know what, uh, I learned all these languages so I could pit species against each other. Now it's my job to make everybody work together. And it, it, like you said, it's those character moments within this grand finale that just, it gives it some more, so much more like emotional oomph versus just watching like pew, pew, pew all the time. Yeah. And you work in little moments like the uh, awkward Dow and Gwyn kiss, which was uh, very funny in the big moment there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, you had like an action scene and I have complained about action scenes on Star Trek for some time now. I'm sure I'm like a broken record. But like when I had Dreadnought going up against the various crew members, including like Murph and Zero, I thought that was actually a lot of fun and very well staged and smart because, you know, Zero comes roaring in to basically try to, you know, reveal its inner light to basically stun it. And Dreadnought immediately like hurls that metal plate to block it like it was a character doing something that made sense versus a lot of the action scenes which feel like they just kind of like bash their action figures together this one felt like the writers sat down and were like okay how do we make each of these kind of beats of the action sequence work for each of the characters taking place in it well I also like how it all kind of culminates with the diviner uh using Dreadnought as like an escape pod 
that just enveloped mm-hmm. around the diviner. I mean, that looked like really badass. And like, like just, I was like, oh, cool. That's something you're probably not going to see in like a live action show. Because uh, it could have looked very silly if uh, we witnessed that on an episode of, I don't know, say, uh, uh, Voyager, where <laughs> the villain of the week <laughs> blows out of the bridge with a robot escape pod, you know, like say the robot from Prototype suddenly enveloped around, um, I don't know, a, a, a Maj Kala and <laughs> blew out of the, it. It would have looked dope, looked very dopey there. So, uh, but that was a very cool, cool sequence. Who's the funniest Star Trek villain in a live action show? That would be like the most amazing to see have that escape. <laughs> um, whoever that lame villain from uh, Gambit was. Oh, okay, Baran. Yeah, or maybe one of the Packlets. Uh, that that would Ooh, be pretty fun. That's good. The Packlets. I was thinking also that aging admiral in that season one episode. I think it's too short a season. I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, is there a good uh, Dominion villain? You know, to make an escape like that. Uh, oh, I know, <laughs> Kai Win. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> she's like i must leave the station immediately wayun is the one who would be the kind of the most appropriate you could see him yeah, pulling yeah. a tactic like that but kai win would be the most amazing that would be a like bow down to the tv nothing will ever top star trek <laughs> once you've got kai win especially like i want you know the actress like flying through space <laughs> i want to see that shot yes yes i i i, I uh, very much like how we saw that shot of um of uh, Ben Sisko jumping to the fire caves at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, this would be kind of the inverse of that. And that, that would be a, a, a wonderful juxtaposition. That would be great. And this episode also opened, Supernova Part 1, with uh, some Jellico on screen, which it's great to hear Ronnie Cox again. And I like that like Jellico is just, is just now like kind of baked into the fabric of this show with its ongoing events. Do you think we're going to see Jellico do anything kind of character-driven in the future? I, I look no because I I'm not convinced he's coming back. Mm. I just I just wonder how much this is like them just having fun, you know, for a couple episodes with Ronnie Cox or you know the character who I like to now call um, Angelico. <laughs> you know, just every every time his presence graces the screen, it's amazing. Um, although that said, remember I thought that the whole Chicote thing would be wrapped up by the end of season one. Yeah. And, uh, they're dragging that out, so maybe they'll have to drag out Je- Jellico uh, while they're at it. I-, I only bring it up because uh, it's great if you can grab Ronnie Cox uh, for a couple voiceover sessions. Um, this man is getting up there in the years, but mm-hmm. it'd be great if they can keep him uh, uh, delivering those paychecks to him. Um, character stuff? Kim, I would love to see character stuff, but as you know, I- I'm somebody who um, I like living in a world of uh, probability rather than possibility and I'm leaning towards it being more improbable than possible yeah like I don't see them writing a season long arc or anything like that onto the show but it would be fun if maybe one episode next season we got just like Jellico playing a little more of a significant role just within a single episode because yeah I think Ronnie Cox is like 90 years old or something like it now somewhere around that so you never know um, but I would like to just see him get maybe one episode just to do a little bit of something more he he won't stop talking about Gamma Shift. You, know? uh, <laughs> you got to get on Gamma Shift. How come you haven't set up Gamma Shift yet? Maybe we can get like a TNG character uh, cameo on Prodigy and have a scene with uh, them and Jellico. That would be fun. Who would be the uh, the best character? Riker, wouldn't it? Oh, you mean, okay, like a like legacy character. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ultimately Riker. I guess he's uh, 
okay, I'm trying. I'm always like stuck trying to do the math here. Prodigy takes place in between Lower Decks and Picard. Okay. So, it, like, what the the question I have swimming in my head is: Riker, is he still captain of the Titan? Has he um, tragically lost? his young, young son to a disease that could have been cured if they had not um, banned um, androids from the Federation. I, I don't know what they're thinking of that storyline. That was but, weird. <laughs> um, my, yeah, my guess, I think he's still captain of the Titan. Um, if he's buttonheads with uh, Admiral Angelico, uh, I would love to see that. Yeah, because it's very doable from where the show ends this season that you could have one of those characters um, cross over and, I would have to imagine they would like to have more appearances. If they're bringing Okona back for like two or three episodes <laughs> of this season, yeah. I would have to imagine they have plans in the future to work in other, <laughs> perhaps more popular characters than Jellico and Okona. And Chicote. And Chicote. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Chicote. Well, um, so Cam, uh, look, uh, I, 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 there are two points that I want to bring up with the, the um, fleet sequence coming to the rescue. It was actually really cool when you had like the Klingons eventually coming in to help. Yeah. Uh, they were followed by Ferengi and Gorn ships. Um, the music swelled. I was like, yeah, that that's kind of the Star Trek that I like. Um, I, I am curious like what the play was with the, the Ferengi and Gorn ships. I would not necessarily expect that in this era, although who knows what, you know, reforms Rom has instituted at this point. But um, I did like the moment or I did scratch my head at the moment. Where the Klingon captain was like, why should I help? And in my head, I was like, weren't you guys allies just like a second ago <laughs> during the Dominion War? Like, I don't know. Like, that's why. Like, what's wrong with helping? Maybe it was like the offspring of that Klingon from Star Trek V, uh, the villain there. Yeah. <laughs> it was a little, a little out to lunch. Uh, what I actually liked about this you know, development of the plot there too, that I think it speaks very well to Prodigy and maybe is a little bit of a criticism of some of the live action shows. This, you know, Klingon effort and Ferengi effort and Gorn effort, it was all about defense. It was about taking defensive maneuvers to protect the Starfleet ships. It was not opening fire on things and just engaging in massive firefights. And that to me is a very crucial difference and speaks to kind of the tone and the optimism of what Prodigy is doing. Uh, this is not like the finale of uh, uh, season two of Discovery, where it is 60 minutes nonstop of uh, blasty, blasty. To be fair, I did love the blasty, blasty at the end of season two Discovery. So <laughs> You were like a seal getting a uh, fish thrown at you. I was, I was. Yeah. Uh, and we also had that character, um, Asensia, uh, escape at the end of this episode, and she doesn't appear in the next episode. So I guess we have another villain presence that could continue on in season two. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm trying to make heads or tails of the diviner arc here. Mm -hmm. Is he redeemed? Do you buy it? His redemption arc. A little bit, I do. Um, because he was a one bad dude yes. for the 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 first half of season one until he lost his memory yes um i think we have here a little bit of the darth vader like arc from the original films where he is uh, a pretty evil dude consistently throughout the majority of his arc but at the end when he sees you know in this case his daughter at peril 
against you know this Essencia character, that's when he jumps in for the save, kind of like the Darth Vader Emperor thing. Um, so like I kind of bought that when he actually saw that Essencia, who I don't know that he necessarily felt eye to eye with, was going to potentially murder his daughter. He might take an act like that. But do is it a full redemption in my eyes? No, I don't think so. It's like maybe it's just kind of saying that within this very corrupted, um, often evil dude, there was an element of goodness to him. He loves his daughter. Yeah, sure. Okay, sure. <laughs> she lives, he uh, doesn't. Why don't we jump you over to the, uh, the finale? Um, you know, uh, so here, here's something. Okay, this is me getting way too much up in my head as I'm watching the episode, you know. <laughs> Go nuts. In which we know that, well, it, you know, it, it's like, because I just, I feel like I've watched so many TV shows and movies where I can kind of predict things kind of beat by beat. And so when they're like, we must destroy the proto star and you have this swooning music as they depart. And we have, you know, hollow Janeway saying like, take my program. And (laughs) I'm just like, it's kind of like, Oh, ultimately we'll see the proto star by the end of this episode. And we'll see hollow Janeway uh, by the end of the episode, you know, and uh, it's for me, the cynical fellow that I was, um, I still don't think the protostar is destroyed. I don't, but I was expecting it to return by the end of the episode. I think there are other plans in store at this moment, but it, I thought it generally worked for me when you had Hollow Janeway say, look, my uh, program, it's advanced too much. It's developed too much. It, it, it's too rich now for me to just put it all on one ship. Here is my goodbye to you. That actually worked for me because it was not what I was anticipating there. I thought we were just going to get like a, a copy of Hollow Janeway come along for the ride. Well, when they really subverted like the Disney death trope, which has become so common in franchise entertainment now, where they were telling you right up front, someone's, you know, she is going to die, but don't worry, you'll have her memory to live on. It's kind of like having your cake and eat it too. Big dramatic death scene, but don't worry. Hollow Janeway can come back next season with this chip. And the fact that they then flipped it so that she didn't make it out and they just had the recording saying like, I'm sorry, could not do because I'd evolved to such a point. It was like, oh my God, like some finality for something. They could still kind of have their their cake because, you know, they set up Janeway taking over as a mentor to those characters. So you still have Kate Mulgrew voicing the mentor of these, you know, kids and whatever in the next season. But they at least let that character of hollow Janeway die, which I very, very much appreciated because I'm so, so tired of big soaring scores as beloved characters perish only to be reborn, you know, in the next episode or something. Well, speaking of the next episode, uh, do you think it's uh, likely that we see hollow Janeway appear? And if I want to dig into the series just a little bit more just look at the opening credits and like you literally have hollow janeway's face like um emblazoned in the stars you know so are they gonna erase that from the show in season two for like some new credits like maybe possibly i just i don't think we've seen the end of hollow janeway and the proto star like i think they're coming back that said the moment where she did say her farewell and that final hollow message it worked for me I think we could see a hollow Janeway, but we won't see this hollow Janeway, which I guess is sort of what matters because all of the personality aspects were in this one. I think this one is done. Okay. We may just see something else down the road. Um, but yeah, like I, to me, I, I think like we might see like a, a change in kind of the iconography of the show. Like it wouldn't surprise me if 
I don't know, next season it's normal Janeway's face in the star or some, stars okay. or something like yeah. that. Because I, I do think this show seems to be smart about switching things up uh, and not just being stagnant. Um, I mean, maybe, you know what? You know what it's going to be next season, Tyler? It's going to be, finally, Chakotay's face in the stars. <laughs> that's what I, you know, that's what I thought the um, the opening sequence of Star Trek Voyager was always lacking, <laughs> is, you know, you know that that sequence in which we see the uh, the rings of a planet they kind of flutter through our eyes. I, to me, I always had hoped that it was uh, Chakotay's face and that those planetary rings right there. So I think this is the next best thing that we're gonna get. Um, Kim, there really is no sort of conclusion to the whole J or the whole Chakotay arc that started in episode uh, or the uh, mid season finale, uh, episode nine or ten, depending on how you want to count it, or no. Is it ten or eleven, depending on whether you count the uh, the premieres two episodes? So, anyways, um, that genuinely surprised me. Like, how long is this hunt for Chicote going to last? And does Robert Beltran know what he signed up for? <laughs> Are the young children watching Star Trek Prodigy going to be okay pushing off the <laughs> final return of uh, Chicote for another year? I don't know. <laughs> Fan favorite among all the children discovering Star Trek for the very first time. I think it's it makes sense to me on one hand to have him remain kind of at large out there in the galaxy because if you're going to have, you know, Vice Admiral Janeway as a mentor to these characters in the next season, it gives her like a mission for them to take part in to track down Chakotay. Um, so that would be okay. And... Yeah, like I think as a focal point for the season, it makes sense. I'm just like, they haven't yet, I think, given me a reason to care about where Chakotay is and what he's up to, other than the fact I know who Chakotay is. Yes, exactly. If, if his name was, I don't know, Captain Billings, <laughs> and you know him and Janeway were close friends at the Academy, this would not be interesting. And that's what I fear for like a lot of these kids, you know, discovering Star Trek for the first time is like, is this storyline kind of boring to them or unengaging? I think they've done a smart move in keeping it very minimal. Like okay. you get a, I mean, how much work did Beltran really do in season one? I bet if you added up the number of hours he worked from the time he was in the voiceover <laughs> studio, although he may have been recording this at home, you know, who knows? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you think like he put in more than, and I'm trying to be realistic because, you know, there is this stuff where you have to kind of uh, walk up to the microphone. You might get some direction like, um, I don't know, six hours altogether, you think, maybe for what amounts to, I think, a, a total of, um, I would guess, like uh, 75 seconds of dialogue if you add it all up. That would be about my guess because how many? Okay. I know his screen time is minimal. How many episodes has he appeared in? Four? Maybe four or five. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, it would be... Yeah, I think that's a good amount of time. Six hours seems about right to me. Because, like, there can be technical issues just in terms of recording people that maybe takes a little bit of extra time. But um, there have been a couple appearances along the way that were literally just, like, a line or two. Like, the one in this past episode where it was just a recording that would not have taken long 
he probably had to record that, you know, uh, very much like the Krusty the Clown uh, records the uh, speaking doll <laughs> uh, sequence from uh, The Simpsons, you know. But like, yeah, give give three takes, and you're good to go. Um, the, the the take that Beltran gave uh, during that last line reading, uh, that was the director telling him to do the uh, the energetic take, right? <laughs> and boy, did he bring it! <laughs> why is Beltran phoning this in, or why does it feel like he's phoning this in? I don't know that he's necessarily phoning it in. Or why does it feel like it then? <laughs> it might be a little bit of a classic case of like, he's an actor, but he's not necessarily a voice actor. Yeah, you're right. And I think voice acting can be a very different thing. And it's one of the big complaints you hear from professional voice actors about Hollywood studios constantly hiring just random popular actors to do voice work when their voices aren't particularly dynamic. And maybe that's the case here. Well, I know as an Italian man, you will be boycotting uh, uh, the new Super Mario movie because of Chris Pratt. Um, I, I, you know, I feel you there. I, I'm with you in spirit, Cam. Uh, but you're right. Uh, but I'll just—I guess the reason I'm—I'm I'm still baffled is because I don't know. I thought you know, Kate Mulgrew um, acquitted herself quite well. I thought Ronnie mm-hmm. Cox acquitted himself, you know, quite well. You know, like, like those—I don't know. It just seems weird. But maybe. Beltran, he's trying to play it close to how he delivered most of his lines in Voyager, which he was like, he, he's been honest about it. He's very disappointed with the scripts that he was getting. And, you know, every, what, twice a season, they would give him like uh, some pretty strong material to work with. And he was very engaging, you know, but I don't, I don't know, maybe he, for him, this is kind of um, like an intentional sort of delivery uh, to you know, not go too off course with how people remember Chakotay. Well, when you think about characters or actors that lend well to animation, it's like you've got to be a little more, I think, theatrical. And I mean, Kate Mulgrew can totally do that. Like that is right within her wheelhouse is to kind of go a little bit bigger. Um, I'm thinking of like the Voyager cast. Like I think Robert Picardo would be fantastic and would really, really get the assignment. Um. Ethan Phillips probably is Neelix as well. But beyond that, I, I don't know that the others would necessarily, and this has nothing about them as performers or about their characters, but I just don't know that they would translate to this kind of animation as well. Oh, oh I'm going to stop you right there. Uh-oh. Uh, Jerry Ryan, a seven of nine, could totally translate her monotone uh, seven of nine voice uh, in, in this era, right? That I would like to see, actually. Because yeah. I'm undecided. I agree with you. Like, it's a very distinct voice. It's like, I want to see it in in actual, you know, play, play out in a scene before I really come in with a uh, <laughs> yes or no on it. It's great. Uh, the, the, the season one premiere, it takes place uh, during that uh, same episode in which we saw the flashback in which uh, uh, Icheb was murdered uh, and, and vivisected. And uh, <laughs> that, that's when uh, Annika uh, shows up just in time. But uh, the, the Prodigy crew, picks her up uh, after that very moment right yes definitely definitely that that makes as much sense as anything <laughs> yeah 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 sure okay <laughs> um cam um look uh we were having a big debate about like what the future of um prodigy would be and and yeah it's like like i suspected a couple of weeks ago this, this the future of the show is it's not gonna be a about these kids on the run with a ship anymore and as i was watching this i was like oh is this going to be what the long talked about Starfleet Academy show is manifesting into? Is is this why it's called Star Trek Prodigy? 
you know, and yeah. well, by the end of the episode, like the answer is no, but I spent like a solid, like, I don't know, like 14, 15 minutes wondering if that's where we're ultimately going to in season two. And it intrigued me. Uh, I personally, I think a Starfleet Academy live action show can work. I'd be horrified if it's anything akin to what we got in that episode, uh, season four of, of uh, Discovery, which seemed to be like a backdoor pilot. Uh, but I would love to see some Academy series set in like, you know, the, uh, the, you know, 25th century, you know, uh, planet, uh, or San Francisco campus or something like that. I think it can work. I think somebody can crack the code. I, I think that it would have been fun to actually see these particular characters, um, be kind of a unit in a very yeah. unfamiliar setting. Yeah. I mean, I was actually wondering when Janeway saying, you know, she's going to be mentoring the five of them. And they'll have a ship and everything. I thought there was going to be a reveal at the end of them, like, getting on the USS Prodigy. And it would be like, oh, my God, they were building it the whole season. I don't think that's going to be the case. My suspicion is it'll be, like, the next Voyager or something. But that was what I had in the back of my mind is, like, wow, it was in front of us the whole time. It's going to feel like that moment at the very end of uh, Star Trek IV where uh, they get into space dock and they see it's the uh, 1701A that uh, yeah. is under construction or just about ready to get out of space dock. Yeah. And I mentioned, you know, that Janeway would be mentoring the five of them because Gwyn is not seemingly sticking around going back to her home planet. Um, how do you think that's going to play out in season two? I'm like, like look about, uh, look at who's still out and about. You've got the mm-hmm. diviner. You've got Ensign. Asnistia, I'm messing up her name. Asensia. I kept wanting to say Anastasia, and I was like, that's that's not what it is. Um, so I think, and you got uh, Dreadnought. Uh, you know, I, I think her storyline, at least for the first little bit, could revolve around that little cluster of characters. I, I think she still will be part of the series moving forward. But I, I think initially she's going to have to be reunited with kind of the core crew. And you know, that's what I anticipate. Um, what about you, though? I'm really uncertain about how this is going to play out. Because I, just the chemistry that that character has with the others, it would be a real loss to lose her from the show if they were to make some sort of like, okay, she's leaving, we're going to bring in a new character next season. That would be kind of a bummer. Um, but I'm also not a fan of like the dramatic exit only to reappear the next episode or two. Like That's also not something I'm particularly interested in. So like... Yeah, I mean, if you've still got the Diviner and Essencia and all these other characters out there, um, it makes sense that that would culminate in something. So, like, if you're going to have the Revenge of Essencia in Season 2, I would have to imagine Gwyn is going to return in that, you know, to, to play a part in that. So that's why I'm wondering if maybe, like, Gwyn is not around for a few episodes, and then we catch up with her efforts on her home planet. And that kind of ties into maybe like a mid season finale or something. I think we'll see here long before the mid season finale. I, I think we'll see her in the season two premiere. I, I, I don't think this is meant mm. to be a long goodbye uh, by any means. Cause I just, I think about it, like, does it feel as if this character's journey has come to an end? Like n- not to me. No. And so I think, you know, look, if, if the writers wanted to, they could have had all six of them, serving as warrant officers in training under Janeway. I think they want to put Gwyn in another situation for reasons that will carry into the story. And I I, I think that will present itself rather early on. I mean, I think they're still going to be paying this actress uh, 
money regardless. So why not put her to use? Do you think it'll be a little bit, um, not necessarily in content or tone, but a little bit like Boimler going to the Titan um, in season uh, two Lower Decks? Within like, uh, what, four minutes of screen time, he's back? Yeah, like he's you get what he's up to on the Titan for like a couple episodes, but then he's back. Yeah, I do. I Cam, that's that's literally what I said about uh, seven minutes or maybe five minutes ago. I was like, she'll pr- probably be in that cluster of characters, uh, you know, the Diviner and company, and then she'll be back with the regular crew you know, relatively quickly. Yeah, I'm gonna hold out hope that they prolong it a little bit, and we maybe we build to something with her coming back in a big way. But well, yeah, let me ask why. I think the dramatic impact would be a little more impactful. Like, I think it would just be, it would feel like something that isn't just done over and over again, which is the character wandering off and coming back in two episodes or something or in the next episode. I kind of like the idea of earning that return. Well, remember we had that discussion about Shaxx and mm-hmm. I, I, I brought up the same concern. It's like, well, it doesn't seem as impactful anymore. Like that sacrifice that he made in season one a finale and you're like yeah but i don't know maybe they do something good with it and you pointed to you know uh, search for spock uh you know like i did yeah it does you know his return um numb the impact that uh we saw in wrath of khan and ultimately no so i mean for me i don't think the shack thing that thing still irritates me I, I, yeah like it does make me roll my eyes i don't necessarily think that um gwyn coming back after a few episodes to be reunited with the crew. I don't think that's going to um, lessen the impact of that kind of, uh, that send-off. That, it, was, it was a kind of muted send-off as well, you know? So I, I'm I'm okay with her coming back relatively quickly. To me, I have a lot of faith with the Prodigy writers at this point. So like, I think within, ex- you know, with judging from the execution of many of what they, many of the decisions they've made on the show, they can make it work. It's just like, I, I am kind of interested in seeing something a little bit different, but we'll see. Time will tell. Um, it was funny that you just mentioned Shaxx there. And yeah, that's an example of what I don't want. Yeah. Because like, when you look at the character of Shaxx, so you've now spent a fair amount of time with um, over the course of his run on the show. And I ask you, like, what are the great moments of Shaxx? You immediately are going to say his death scene at the end of season one, followed by, well... <laughs> uh the the sex scene that he had with uh dr tana uh... yeah like it, it feels like they left that character on such a high and they haven't kind of delivered the next great shacks moment since yeah yeah um well if we're talking about uh comedy and star trek um i did like the moment where uh janeway was speaking to the starfleet council she points to doll and she's like, um, is he enhanced in every way? Look at him. Of course not. <laughs> and then Dal's face just like, it just frowns. I was just like, uh, that's a pretty good one. But I did like her follow-up though. It's like, he's made from like, um, his genetic material from uh, 26, you know, Federation member species. You know, is there a better living embodiment of what our alliance represents? And I, I thought that was a legit good moment that, uh, that, that worked for me there. Do you think Prodigy is going to rewrite the book on augments in Starfleet? Well, it's kind of like, I think that's a very good question, you know? Uh, Because we already had the Bashir issue, you know, which Mm -hmm. he was augmented against his will. We are talking about it a lot 
uh, in Strange New Worlds as well with uh, Una. Oh, why am I blanking on? Yeah, Una's um, uh, a very weird kind of final episode uh, <laughs> in the finale. Yeah. I, I know that, that that to me is one of the more weak points of the finale. That's the kind of thing I don't like. Like the uh, the Gwyn one to me, the way they delivered the exit was so strong that I'm like, that's kind of why I want to prolong it because I really want to savor that exit versus the Uno one. I'm like, bring her back the next episode. I don't care. Cam, you saying that's why I want to prolong it so long. I want to savor that exit. Um, <laughs> okay, sir. <laughs> I'm, uh, Get your uh, mind out of that gutter. I, I'm not going to read too much into that. Um, uh, I did like Zero's new uh, suit. Uh, that looked pretty cool. Like uh, that kind of that was white, slick. shiny. Yeah, very slick there. Um, it, here's my one last note about the finale. Um, it did make me roll my eyes where you had to end it. The very last moment where, you know, Admiral Janeway showing off the new protostar ship. And they're like, we're going to go there. She's like, no, I have a much bigger plan for us. And then they don't <laughs> tell us what it is. I'm just like, really? It's like, that's the sort of stuff that kind of bugs me. Yeah, I mean, that's a real like... Um... The adventure continues. Credits. Um, I was okay with that. It's it's you know it's kind of like come on gang, the fun's gonna continue. We just don't quite know how yet because we haven't broken that story yet. <laughs> well, we can look forward to twenty twenty five holding the answer, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, this episode also featured a cameo. We should note by Doctor Aaron McDonald playing Doctor McDonald, who was the Starfleet member who went up to um, Rock Talk and brought up xenobiology. And Dr. Aaron McDonald um, is a real scientist and gives speeches at the Las Vegas Con every year. So uh, that was kind of a big deal. Well, she's also uh, the science advisor for uh, mm -hmm. the Star Trek franchise right now. So, um, yeah. And Cam, you and I will be uh, appearing in uh, Star Trek Lower Decks next season as Packlids. The uh, creators of the show said we don't have to change our voices at all. Uh, not the annotations in our voices, nothing at all. We we're like, oh, wow. Okay. We we're very flattered by uh, that invite. Yeah. I mean, we were born to play those roles. I believe um, so. Yeah. Another note of this finale, the Supernova Part 2, that I actually really liked was kind of jumping off of what I've said before about taking familiar things we've seen before on Modern Trek, but just doing it right. Uh, this one kind of wrapped up the conflict relatively early in the episode and then we kind of spent you know whatever 10 minutes or something 12 minutes with the characters just kind of having these earnest exchanges and i was instantly having flashbacks to season one picard which you know <laughs> after like the whole you know the android stuff was thwarted whatever we got an extended kind of weepy scene of characters just being like boy wasn't jean-luc amazing and all that sort of stuff as we killed time to get to his rebirth as an android um or a golem or whatever he is uh i like that this felt earned in this episode it was doing something we've seen before but actually it delivered on it i thought i thought every character moment actually worked well I, the big problem with the season one finale is the show's literally called star trek picard we knew it was yeah. getting three seasons um we knew picard wasn't dead you know yeah i is just like uh we're just kind of waiting for him to be resurrected somehow. And I just, I don't know, to me, that just made me cringe. It was awkward. It was very awkward. <laughs> All right. Well, overall, I, I think that uh, season one, strong first season. Mm -hmm. It only took a year and a half to get it all out there. But uh, 20 episodes, 
I can't, is it really like a 20 episode first season? It really feels to me so much like um, two 10 episode seasons. It really does. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one season because they say it's one season, but the way they were splitting it up and everything, it feels like two seasons. Now, We've just you know finished Prodigy season one, and we didn't you know finish season one of um, Strange New Worlds that long ago. And at the time, we said that was the strongest of the first seasons of Kurtzman Trek. Where do you stand now? Has this one upset it, or do you still stick with Strange New Worlds? Well, I'll say this: I would say that uh, the first half of season one was stronger than the second half. I, I think the second half suffered from a little too much plotting, you know. It just it kind of took away like there's still good character stuff, but I thought it was interesting. Like there, there seemed to be more forward momentum, more of a a breakneck pace that still gave us time to sit with the characters. Whereas the um the pacing in season two was a little bit like it kind of felt that they were kind of dragging things out at times, and then it was like um hurry 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 we got to like wrap things up in like the those final three episodes. Yeah, I felt like in the second half of this season, there was a few episodes that when you and I sat down to like review them on the show, it was like, well, this one was pretty thin. It felt a little like they kind of lost a little bit of the spark towards maybe like the two thirds mark through the season. Um, I think it ended very well. But I think the thing with like Strange New Worlds is to me that one I still hold a little higher. And it is because it's just honestly a little more episodic. So, yeah. like, I could watch an episode like the Elysian Kingdom and want to pull my eyes out of my head. <laughs> but then, like, the next week, it's something entirely different. The characters continue, but it's a whole other story. And so you could have your favorites in that season, and it just held together, I think, a little more. Versus when it is this kind of plot-based stuff, it can run a little thin. Uh, especially over 20 episodes, I think the show did it better than most. It did it better than Picard, which is only, like, half the length of a, in a season. But... Again, it's just like an approach that I just don't know that it, it's easy to say it won't work for me because if someone can pull it off, then I'll be like, no, I was wrong. It worked. Uh, but so far, that serialized approach, heavily serialized approach in Star Trek hasn't 100% been a home run for me. Yeah, in, in this new era, for sure. It's yeah. just funny, like you can go back to watching Deep Space Nine and Enterprise in which they, you know, they're doing serialization the right way, you know, in mm -hmm. which there were ongoing storylines and okay i i know i keep repeating myself though but it was not so much that the serialized storyline was the a storyline every single episode it was like hey sometimes we'll focus on the serialized element as the a story and maybe most weeks it's more in the background it's more like the b story or the c story or it's more of an offhanded remark and we'll have more of an episodic tale but when like every single a story is your serialized story it's just it's it gets exhausting. You have to keep up with a lot. Like, who's doing what now? It's like, to me, it just seems like such an easy fix. And I don't know. When, when you look at the kind of the best shows on, on television, is like they kind of figured this out a while ago. Yeah. And I mean, we talked about the episode Mind Walk in this episode of the podcast, which was, you know, uh, the first of the three episodes we covered. And I mean, if you ask me, like, I don't know, a year, two years from now, about the episode Mind Walk, I'm going to remember the mind-swapping stuff, but everything else will kind of be gone because it's just kind of plot points that are leading into the finale. Yeah. Like, it's not kind of telling a specific story. And I think that's the one aspect I would say needs a little bit of improvement in the next season of Prodigy. Yeah. 
All right, sir. Well, look, uh, I, I think it was overall a successful first season of Star Trek. Uh, we don't always get those. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I, I've been delighted uh, by this. And I, I'd say out of the five Star Trek series to have premiered since you know 2017, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I'd say that we've had three solid uh, seasons. Um, or I would say, okay, let me say this. Two, sol- or two consistent first seasons. Um, mm-hmm. one solid but sometimes inconsistent first season in Lower Decks, and then um, two wobbly first seasons in uh, Picard and Discovery. Here's the thing: like, um, I'm a much bigger fan of Picard season one now, having watched season two of Picard. <laughs> and yes, I, and I, I did not expect to go into season two of Picard thinking that it would improve my viewing experience of season one of Picard. What if season three Picard improves your experience of season two Picard? <laughs> how how is that even possible? I don't believe it's possible. Although if you're bringing back all these like beloved legacy characters and you just kind of ruin them, like the one thing that's or not the one thing, but one of the things that's making me a little bit um, trepidatious about about season three is Terry Metalis, the showrunner of season three, the brand new showrunner of season three. He's been saying all the right things, except my my. My antenna keeps going up whenever he's like, yeah, so I sat down with all the actors and I wanted to make sure we were on the same page about where their characters have been journeying the last few decades. And I'm like, does it like does it benefit you to be getting too much input from the actors who have been sitting with these iconic characters for so long? And we know that Patrick Stewart has had a lot, and I mean a lot of input to the character of Jean-Luc Picard uh, through the first two seasons of the show. And I don't think that's done the show any favors whatsoever. No, and I just always get a little nervous, and I don't want to pick on just Star Trek for this. I can think of many examples, where it's whether it's filmmakers or showrunners, where they will just be like, we have made like the ultimate fan version of this story. And they are just saying that to death about this is the next TNG story you've always wanted. And it's like, don't, don't promise that. Don't promise that. Like be confident in your story. Say we were really happy with what we've come up with. I think you guys are going to enjoy seeing these characters back, but don't keep flying the flag of like, not only is this the ultimate return of TNG you have not gotten, but like we're gonna be touching on DS9 and Voyager, and it's just like, oh no, like just the whole biting off more than you can chew, and this like kind of like sweaty attempt of just like fans, <laughs> you are going to love this more than anything yeah. you've ever seen in your entire life. That makes me nervous because I've heard people who made things like I don't know Morbius say things like that. <laughs> yeah, um, one of the examples that I'll, I'll point to, and 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 you can. You, you'll know what I'm talking about, though, is, uh, you know, Veronica Mars, very beloved series that ran for three seasons and, you know, the very hardcore fan base. And they had, you know, like a GoFundMe campaign to get, you know, a, um, a feature film version uh, a few years later. And mm-hmm. the um, creator of the series, uh, Rob Thomas, he wrote and directed the film. He was like, you know what? These are these fans paid for this movie. And he said it in interviews um, later on. He's like, they, they paid for this movie, so I wanted to feel as if I was delivering you know, what they ultimately supported. And I remember watching that movie. I liked it. I still like it. But Cam, you came to that movie with me and a couple <laughs> other friends that were big fans of Veronica Mars. And you walked out of there having never seen Veronica Mars before, and you were just confused out of your 
mind. You, you're like, I, I don't know. I, I don't get this reference or like stuff is going over your head. And ultimately what happened though is, um, I, I believe it was Hulu. They said, hey, you want to do a, do you want to do a fourth season of Veronica Mars? And the, you know, the, the most important cast members said, yes, sign me up. And they didn't like, they didn't give the show that the fans wanted. They gave the show that the fans needed and that they took risks. They took the character places. Uh, they dispatched with characters that I'm sure is upsetting to people. But that was the show that um, Rob Thomas um, wanted to make, the, the creator. And he was brave about it. And it, it reminded me like why I liked the um, this series so much those first three seasons. And, and like that's what you need to do. Just be bold, follow your guts. You're not going to please everyone. So why, like, when you try to please everyone, you please no one. You just, you, you make a movie or you make a TV show for absolutely nobody. And it, it, it's hard to sit through. And that's, that's uh, a fear that I have for Picard coming up, despite the fact yeah. that um, Terry Mentalis is saying a lot of the things that I want to hear. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not too far away, and maybe we'll be proven to look like absolute clowns <laughs> when it turns out to be the greatest Star Trek season of the modern era, and we're just, like, bowing down to it. Who knows? It's not out of the realm of possibility. No, no, but we, you know. we, we genuinely liked the first two episodes of season two of Picard, you know? Yep, sure did. You know? And so yeah. we're like, oh, okay, they've kind of figured it out now. You know, and then we gave it the benefit of the doubt uh, in Los Angeles for uh, a couple episodes, and we're like, oh... This show is a train wreck. It's a complete train wreck. And um, yeah, so I will give the show the benefit of the doubt when it returns. I, I, I don't ever want to be one of those like jaded, cynical fans that is just like going to sit down with my arms folded, like grunting and wanting to pick apart every little thing. I want to give the show the benefit of the doubt when I, I sit down to watch it. So it's not going to be us, at, <laughs> unless this show like really sucks. I, I, I don't think you and I are going to be able to do a, uh, we'll be doing a podcast week to week where we're just tearing the show apart uh, from the outset. It's ultimately, let's see what the decisions are. And, and we're, we're going to be going in with open minds. I, th I think I, I can speak for you when I say that too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, the one thing I will say is I don't know that I will say anything along the lines of, it's very clear this show has figured itself out <laughs> when I'm covering the next two episodes of Picard, even if I like them, because yeah. I said that before and yeah. I was dead, dead wrong. So well, did yeah. we say that? Uh, uh, I think we might have at some point with with discovery at, at one point, and then um, I, I think I think we probably did at some point in season two, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, like season two is fine. I I, I think you like season two. Uh, you lean more towards that. I lean more towards season one. Mm -hmm. I think both those shows. Uh, there are some bumps and hiccups, you know, but I think we can both agree that those first two seasons are are much 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 stronger than uh seasons three and four of discovery which i think are just like kind of disasters okay so i think on that note our assignment is complete tyler what are we doing next week we're going to do an outlook for star trek in 2023 as i mentioned at the top um there's a lot coming down the pike uh that we will be discussing but cam i i think there's um some big upheavals afoot when it comes to the entertainment space uh, mm -hmm. in, in Hollywood, especially when it comes to streaming and how much companies are willing to invest in streaming and how likely it is that there might have to be some amalgamation uh, moving forward uh, with a lot of these big companies where it, it just, the, the business model, it was never sustainable 
but it's becoming even clearer that um, there, there are cuts that will have to be made. And I, I'm, I'm curious if we can discuss how that might in, impact uh, Star Trek. If not, you know, in the first three quarters of this year, maybe towards, you know, the end of the year and uh, going into 2024 as well. It, it'll be an interesting discussion about not just Star Trek, but kind of broader Hollywood issues going on. Definitely. Okay, you can, of course, also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam, V as in Voyager A in Season 2 Prodigy, Smith. And you can find me at Reporton, that's R-E-P, P as in Pew, 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 O-R-T-O-N. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. Transfer complete.